Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Nahum. And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was now that I talk to Elliot regularly. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. 12 months from now, yep, they found a vaccine, no more COVID, sort of. It's time for High Holidays 2021. Mm-hmm. One scenario... People really missed it. They're rushing back. Second scenario, people got used to being without it. They're not coming back. What do you think? I think it's a combination of the two. I think people will have been used to not having the stuff they don't want, but they want something. And the more I hear from people, initially it's, I don't have what we used to have. I'm missing it. And then it's sort of, But what's really important to me is ABCD, which is sort of the fine line between watching shul on a live stream and watching shul in real life is I get to go to shul, I get to be in shul, I get to participate in shul without having to get dressed, makeup, hair, who's going to look at me, parking, who's going to sit next to me, bad breath, et cetera, et cetera. All these things suddenly have fallen by the way. So I think what's happening is it's not a conscious decision people are making whether they want this or they don't want this. When they come back to it, they're suddenly going to remember the good and the bad. And the question is, maybe it's always been the case that the experience of going to shul was the wrong way to get what we want them to have in shul. Okay, I hear that. I'm just wondering if digital living seduces people into thinking that digital living is living and you don't really need the in-person thing anymore. Or does it create the opposite reaction, which is, I'm really tired of living in a Zoom universe, and I actually want the real-life contact with people. And you're saying it's a mixture of both, which I guess is true. It's like people dating during COVID. You, you just, you're more selective. You have to choose more carefully. You, know, you slow down a bit. You, you, people are probably going to make different choices about shul. You're right. There is a rupture happening. The question really becomes, do people know what's important? The only way they have to access it right now is digital. Maybe they'll take the digital experience, they'll bring it back to shul, and they'll go, this is much better than digital. Or maybe they'll go, this is way worse. This is terrible. I don't want this. What I do want is 10.30, I want to tune in, turn the rabbi on, listen to what he says, listen to a little bit of music, and I, I can be doing my dishes while I'm in shul. Maybe shul, the way we've constructed it, is really about a digital experience that people want. Some people want to feel, some people, and that they'll have. The question really becomes, can we ever undo the fact that we found a new way to deliver something that people really want? I think there is a way, but shuls really have to bring their A game. And the way I think about it, and I wrote about this on our site, is that you've got the world on hold, so you've got an opportunity to reinvent yourself. So if you come back in 12 months and you just basically do the tired and true, you think that you don't have to make any changes, it's just good enough to come back, I think that's a huge mistake. I think if you can think of a way, you don't have to necessarily entirely reinvent yourself, but to integrate new elements in a service, because you've got a reboot here, It's like you can start from zero a little bit and you try new things that you didn't before because it's harder to do it when you're just in the inertia of the flow. 
But if there's a freeze and you're off for 12 months and then you come back, you can actually try new things. And I think that's what needs to happen. I don't think you can just expect people to come back same old. Some people, that's good enough. Other people, I think you're going to have to really be creative. I think you will find that people want to have the social experience, but I don't know if a purely social experience will be enough to get them to listen to the grinding service that seemed to have become fairly pervasive. On the other hand, synagogues that get it will understand that the social can be really important, but for a lot of people, and they voted with their feet for decades, only three times a year. They've told us that in so many, but they had no other way to achieve connection. We couldn't test the great question, which was, would you be interested in what goes on in shul if you couldn't go, but we brought it to you? And now we have an answer, which is yes. So you're right. Socially, yes. You know, there's a, there's a the fabulous joke of Hershkowitz meets Friedman in the synagogue, and Hershkowitz says to Friedman, Friedman, what are you doing here? You don't even believe in God. He says, I don't believe in God, but Goldberg, he believes in God, and I come to talk to Goldberg. That's it. So we have to maybe up the social component, maybe shorter services, longer kiddish, maybe less talking, more engaging, maybe more speaking, less sermonizing, maybe shorter Torah, maybe, maybe a combined live stream and video stream. Maybe shul should be both because you give people at home something greater than you could do in shul. You give people in shul the in-person experience. Maybe it becomes two entirely different experiences that merge, sort of like what we're doing on the high holidays where we have pre-recorded, but we also insert live at various parts. If you came and watched that in shul, you'd be going, I got nothing to do for an hour until he goes live again. So in a in a healthy environment, you'd fill the time on both, sort of like when you go to a, a hockey game and... They blow the whistle and you have to wait two minutes while the commercials are running. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing you do. So we're probably going to end up in shul with girls throwing t-shirts into the stands. Part of what disturbs him about this, it's not the girls with the t-shirts. That okay. Means, that's fine. Is that it's so performative. In other words, we're not making demands of lay people. We're saying to them, it's fine. You know what? You come three times a year and we know you're only coming three times a year and we'll perform for you. We'll have our little circus with the rabbi and the chazan and the choir and the speakers and so on and so forth. You know what? Three times a year is just not going to cut it for connection. Sex three times a year with your partner? Bad news, mm -hmm. right? Anything that you're doing so little of and then you expect any kind of result from doing it so sporadically, it seems to me there's some sort of... Um, expectation that's not fulfillable at that point. I'm not going to judge people for coming three times, but what I am going to say is, what do you really expect out of an experience that there's so much time in between the last time that you did it? So the good news that I've come across is in a couple of ways. First of all, I have young people who say to me, the high holidays are my favorite thing in the synagogue, which tells us that whatever we do on high holidays maybe what we should be doing more of during the year. It also tells me that maybe we can only sustain it for three times a year. But what I'm also hearing from members who I had no idea were watching, or people who are watching, or feedback I'm getting is, A, there's a whole lot of people who struggle to get to shul. There's a whole group of elderly 
who cannot come. Last year when we live streamed, we were attracting so many of the young people that had to go off to university so they could feel like they were home. So we have to start thinking of ourselves as a spiritual broadcaster, whether we broadcast locally or we broadcast through the internet, we are doing something here, not for those who are performing in front of, but for those who want something meaningful. Performance, as you're talking about, is in a big tent. And what we're talking about is we have to create a new kind of tent, which is you don't have to come to get the real experience. You could choose your experience if you have a choice. I, for one, have found that people now are willing to say, it's the first time ever I can sit with my family, have an engaging conversation and a dialogue with them about what's going on in shul without being shushed. It's like watching a movie at home. Use the Netflix model where people want to pause. They want to take a break. We actually build in breaks into our service. We couldn't do that here. So there's a lot that has to happen for us to merge the two, and it's possible they will never be mergeable. I recognize the value of that model, but to me, there's a real sense of loss. I think that if people get over the anxiety, if they like trust vaccines and they get over the anxiety about whether they're ever going to be able to come close to another human being again, there's something inestimably incomparable to being with real people in real time doing something together. I think there's really something about bodies being together. I recognize the downsides. You can't talk and so forth. But I don't mind silence, and I think there's a real value to sacredness. And part of the problem with silence is that we just ask people for too much of it. You know, it's one thing to ask them for 60 minutes of silence, another thing to ask them for five hours of it. So I don't think asking for silence or trying to create an atmosphere in real time is a bad thing. I think it's actually a fantastic thing. I just think that we have to, if we we've, if we demand that of people, and we want them to really conform to that standard, then we have to make it easier for them to do so. So why don't we, thinking hypothetically, of course, open a Saturday morning cafe, interrupted by a little bit of prayer, and back to some reading, a book club. A yoga clock, why don't we just create a, a true dynamic synagogue where prayer is one aspect of socialization? Because it's not prayer they're coming for. And it's not the singing, it's the being, it's the existence, it's the space. Assuming everything goes back to normal, I think you will find that what's not going to go back to normal is people's willingness to put up with being exposed to stuff that they can't fast forward, reverse, flip, pause. They, it's a whole new visual of how shul operates. I think no matter what we do, we will forever have to find a way to broadcast the people who want shul, and now we'll demand it, because if we can do it once, we could keep doing it. Call me old-fashioned. There's something about that that doesn't strike me right. I don't think like prayer, I don't think self-reflection, you use a remote. I think there's something about that where you have to actually work harder to achieve that kind of level of reflection and sanctity. And I think we should actually put people a little bit more through their paces. I would like to believe that it's possible. But you know what? At this point now, I think when the battery runs out on the phone, the service is over. Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. 
It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.